There's a lot of things I could talk about uh, in terms of characteristics of Samuel, this great Old Testament um, pastor or or prophet. Uh, But I've chosen this one of integrity because it was of heroic proportions. And and I want you to see that. And you know, um, I'm going to show you a quality today from the Bible that, that if you will acquire it in your life, I'm going to tell you this, I mean, I'm going to say this with some qualification, it will make life easier. Now, I say that, and you look at what we just lo- watched on, on, on uh, the screen, and you say, well, it didn't make his life any easier for 27 years of staying in prison because he wouldn't basically cop a plea. But in the end, at the end of the day, it's going to make life easier in one way, at least. Okay, so I want you to think about that just for a minute. You don't have to necessarily agree with it, but I, I believe that's true. Integrity will also, at the end of the day, reap positive qualities. Again, it may not be next week, it may not be next year, but it will always reap positive qualities. That's why it's so important. The word itself, uh, integrity, is a, I always enjoy doing the etymology of these things and just looking at where the word comes from. It comes from a word that means entire, whole. It comes from the 14th century, Latin word. Um, and really the definition is it's the quality or state of being complete um, or undivided. It means completeness. Now think about that. Integrity means completeness or being undivided. In other words, the, the point here that I want you to see is that the people who have integrity, they are whole, complete, undivided people as opposed to being compartmentalized in different areas of their life. Because I think you know this. If you don't, you need to hear it from somebody that, that uh, cares about you. That is, a lot of people who don't have integrity, you know what we call those people? We call those people liars, okay? Yeah, sorry, that's kind of harsh. But people who don't have integrity, here's the issue, and, and it's something that I've learned over the years. In most cases, not all, but in most cases, the people who, who have a real problem with integrity and who have a problem with lying are usually lying to themselves, because, you know, you walk away from some of that sometimes. You, you've, we've all experienced it at different times. You walk away and you're thinking, how could that person tell me such just such a bald-faced lie? Well, it's because they're lying to themselves. They've compartmentalized. They're divided, conflicted souls, individuals. And, and they've, you know, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. And, and it's real easy to lie. And that's, that's a self-inflicted type of thing. Now, it can be self-inflicted due to mental problems sometimes, but in the, the, that, also is, that also is something that's self-inflicted because we can do something about that, or we can listen to those around us and seek help, and, and maybe, maybe there is an issue there with chemical imbalances or something like that, but again, it comes back to what am I going to do with that? So I, I think this is really, when we think about who these people of integrity are, and hopefully there's a bunch of them in here today, uh, they're whole, complete, undivided people. They're people who keep their word, who keep their commitments, they're people who are honest. They're, people, they're not people who say one thing and then do another. They're not people who double talk, who say one thing to this person and another thing to this person and another thing to somebody else. They're not, they're not, that, kind of, they're not that kind of people. They're whole. They're complete. They have integrity. You know, and that's, that's, that's what this is all about here. So think, along, think about it along those lines. These people are, are, um, who lack integrity are just compartmentalizing their lives in different ways and, and, and they don't, they're not whole. 
Now, we're not, we're not giving them an out. We're not saying, well, it's a disease. They can't help it. They can help it. They can do something about it. And that's where friends and God really come in when you think about that. So here we go with this. Let's, let's talk about this whole thing. of um, this, We're going to look at this, this Old Testament passage, um, 1 Samuel chapter 15, or parts of chapter 15. And we're going to look at this guy, Samuel, Old Testament prophet, pastor. And we're going to see him have some very hard truths that he's going to have to say to the king, King Saul. And I got to tell you, he, king Saul was one of the most powerful men in the world at the time. And, and he had the ability, if he were so inclined, to say, you know, he didn't have to, you know, get things through Congress or whatever. He could just say, that guy cut off his head. I'm tired of him. Stinking preacher. You know, I'm tired of hearing him. Cut off his head. Samuel had to, had to recognize that. And the thing that I love about it, it didn't make him back down one bit. So, pretty amazing stuff. Here we go. We're going to look at this passage. Now, I've got to really be blunt here because we start off this passage with a problem that some of you... And, and, and here's the problem. It's not, it's not part of my point. It's not part of my message uh, and what I'm trying to communicate. But if I don't deal with this, you're going to be hung up on this the whole time. So I've got to deal with it first. Because the, 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 the chapter starts off with this verse. Uh, these instructions to Saul, the king, go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. Starts off that way. Now, here's two or three ways I could deal with that. I could just ignore it and just say, I don't worry about that. Um, But that's the thing about you people. I can't do that because you're going to catch it and you're going to say, I could maybe do that, you know, Southern Alabama or something, but but uh, no, I'm kidding. If you're from Southern Alabama. I didn't mean. I'm just kidding. Um, I could. I can't really just pass over that because somebody say, "See, right there, right there's the problem. Right there. How do how does a loving God? The same old question that people ask. How does a loving God order His people to wipe out men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys? Let me tell you my question because I have many questions for God. And I don't, I don't know how that whole thing is going to come down and how if, I'm, if he's going to say, okay, Rich, now it's your turn on, you know, on day, you know, four million and three or whatever it is in eternity. But, um, but my question for God really is I have studied and read a lot about these kinds of the Canaanites or in this case, the Amalekites. Uh, my question for God is, God, please help me understand how you let these phenomenally wicked people live for as long as they did. That's my question. Because we're talking child sacrifice. You say, why would he have the children killed? Because that was the best option to what they had to live with. We're talking about child sacrifice. We're talking about um, a a tremendously diseased group of people. Uh, And we're talking um, a lot of other practices for children, none of uh, which I won't go into now. Uh, We're talking, you say, what about the animals? I'm an animal lover. I'm a, I'm a PETA guy. What about the animals? Many scholars believe they were diseased. And God was saying, get rid of them too. They're diseased. Um, so there's lots of ways that we can understand this. And, and the, the real truth is, Clay's going to have to deal with this June the 8th when he talks about Rahab. And, and I'm just going to let Clay deal with it, okay? You just, 
That's, that's his job. He's smarter. He's younger. He's brighter. Let him deal with this, okay? Um, no, the truth is there, there's, you, could spend a, you, could, you could spend a whole series on this subject. I just wanted to spend about two or three or four minutes on it and just let you know. That's, that's, just a, that's just a snippet. If you really are interested and if you really think that God was being unjust here, go home and Google Canaanites and read some of the different articles that you can read and you'll get a better understanding of, of just how bad these people were. So, enough, enough uh, suffice it to say that. That's the instruction that King Saul has. Go into the, these Amalekites or Amalekites and go just, just wipe them out. So they have the battle, and the Israel, the children of Israel, King Saul and the children of Israel win. And in verse 7, and you're going to see this, Saul slaughtered the Amalekites, or the Amalekites, from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. It's across, way across the middle part. If you know where it is, it's kind of like, um, well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, it's, it's, it's a large part of Egypt and Israel that they, that they chase them across. Um, Saul and his men spared Agag's life. He's the king. Verse 8, he captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept, watch, kept the best sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. What was God's instruction? This is an evil, evil people. Wipe out the entire group. Um, Already, and this isn't the first time it's happened, King Saul has gone against what the Bible, what God has told him to do. Now, verse 13. Here's the interesting part. It wasn't my original intention, but the more I read over this and read over this and read over this, I thought, this is a great contrast because we're seeing one man, Samuel, the prophet pastor, who's a man of integrity, and we're seeing Saul, the king, who's the exact opposite. He has no integrity. He's, he's divided. He's, you know, he's, he's not a whole... He, he, he'll lie. He'll lie when the truth is better. You ever know anybody like that? They lie when the truth is better. You know, and, and there, have been people, there are people like that. So here's what happens. Um, verse 13, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you. You, you, you hypocrite. May the Lord bless you. Don't you, you, know, you know people like that, right? Just, you know, hey, God bless you. And they're, just, they're just in the midst of doing something that's wrong. Okay. May the Lord bless you. He said, I've carried out the Lord's command. He really thinks he followed God's command. Then, here's Samuel's remark. Well, then what is all the bleeding of sheep and lowing of cattle I hear? Samuel demanded. Because <laughs> Saul said, ah, oh, I wiped everything. Well, I hear sheep. I hear cows. You didn't carry out the Lord's command. Watch, watch what happens. Um, Samuel said, this is really tough right here. Samuel said, uh, excuse me, verse 15. It's true that the army spared the rest of the sheep. And the cattle, Saul admitted. But they're going to sacrifice them to, li- to, to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. Isn't that great? We've kept them, but we're going to give them to God. Is this guy the chief rationalizer of all rationalizers? Amazing. Then Samuel says in verse 16, Stop, Saul. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What was it, Saul asked? Here's the hard message right here. Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself and you are not the leader, excuse me, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? What he's saying, that's an unfortunate translation because really what he's saying, he says, you're just a, I know you think you're just kind of a humble servant who, who came from nothing, which you did, but God's made you the king. 
And, and you need to deal with that. He's, he's the leader of the tribes of Israel. The Lord, has, the Lord has anointed you the king of Israel. And verse 18, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites or the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do exactly what the Lord said not to do? Now, I always wonder in this passage if, if Samuel's saying this while he's backing up, you know? Or, or if he's saying this and, and maybe, you know, getting some people around him or something. I mean, it's just like, I mean, he's just, this is, this is, this is heroic. This is heroic integrity. He's saying, you did wrong. And I'm here to call you on him. This is wrong. Now watch King Saul's response. Classic for a person who lacks integrity. Classic. Verse 20, but I did obey the Lord. I did obey the Lord's command. He didn't either. It's funny how you people rationalize things. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. And then my troops brought in the best of the sheep and the cattle to plunder and, and so forth. It's the sacrifice to the Lord your God. He says that again. Um, here's the issue. One of the, and you need to understand this, part of King, King Saul's, what scholars believe, part of King Saul's motivation in this thing was he wanted to bring the king back. He was supposed to destroy him on the battle on the battlefield. He wanted to bring the king back because he wanted to taunt him, one. And two, he wanted to show his people, look here, look who I got. That's the king of our enemy. I brought him back to you. I'm cool. Aren't I great? And by the way, here's some of their best animals. I brought them back to you. He's looking for a little, self, little, little self-glorification here. You know, and that's part, of why, that's part of why God said, don't do that. Um, just do what I said. Now look what he does because Samuel gets ready to talk to him. And Samuel is going to talk to him about something. This is in the Old Testament. And sometimes we read the Old Testament, we say, well, it does, it's not really relevant to the New Testament. But you know, one of the things, when, it talk, when the Old Testament talks about pleasing God, it's just as relevant in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. Because look what, look what the Old Testament prophet, pastor Samuel says. Verse 22, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience? Obedience is far better than sacrifice. Listening to him is much better than offering the fat of rams. He's saying, what's better to God? All your religious hoo-ha or a relationship of listening and seeking to be what he wants you to be? That was true in the Old Testament. That's true in the New Testament. That's true in 2008. That's what God is most pleased by. Now, should you, in our case, thank God we don't offer sacrifices. We're long past that. We come to church. Should we still, should quote-unquote religious stuff be a part of who we are? Sure, it should if it helps. And if it, if it encourages us in our, in our relationship with God or our seeking and thinking about our relationship, sure it should. But, but if you're looking, and this is coming from, from a pastor who's been at this a few years, if you're looking for church to be your sole um, spiritual nurturing, you're not going well, to be very well nurtured. An hour on, uh, once a week, hopefully it's good, but you need more. We all do. And that's all, that's, all king, that's all Samuel is saying to the king here. He says, you know, you worry about all this sacrifice and all this other rigmarole. You need to be concerned about one thing. Are you going to follow God? Are you going to do what God, are you going to seek to be what he wants you to be? That's really what it amounts to. I love that. I love that because it comes from the Old Testament. And uh, it's obviously the New Testament says that as well. 
Last verse, Samuel replies, I will not return with you since you have rejected the Lord's command. He has rejected you from being the king of Israel. And he goes on to say that he has, uh, God has found a man after his own heart who will be the king. And of course, that's going to be two chapters later. It's going to be a few years later in terms of chronology, and that's going to be King David. In 1 Samuel 17, David's introduced to us then as the shepherd boy David. So, there you go. That's, uh, that's just a narrative on the life of Saul and the incredible amount of heroic, I just, it's just, that's the only way you can call it, heroic integrity that he had. Because the, the, the heroic integrity that Samuel displays here is strong, it's, it's straightforward, yet it's still loving. Because Saul, who knew no integrity, the king, who knew no integrity, needed to hear the truth. He needed to hear the truth without spin, without cushion, and very clearly and very loudly. Here's the truth. No, you didn't obey God. But I didn't. No, you didn't. You know, we do that sometimes with our kids, don't we? Unfortunately, sometimes adults need that too. Because we want to shade the truth. Isn't it interesting, and Steve alluded to this earlier, isn't it interesting how we, how we talk about lies, but then we also talk about, well, it was a little white lie. Because that's not so bad. And then we'll say, well, you know, I had a fib. Well, now, where do we draw the line on this stuff? You know, what do we do with that? Fib sounds so innocent, you know, as opposed to saying, you know, I didn't fib, I lied. We need to be honest about it. We need to have some quote-unquote integrity about this. All right, here's what I want you to see. Here you go. Here's, I'm going I'm to emphasize this twice, maybe, maybe two or three more times too, but you're going to read it at least twice. Integrity, or the lack of, is displayed in how you live your life day after day while the world watches and when no one is there. That's integrity. And you need to see that. And you need to capture that and get your hands and your arms and your mind around that. Because that's what integrity is. It's heroic in that it refuses to be bent to pressure, to other people's opinions, or to intimidation of others. Sometimes intimidation can be such a tough thing to do. Um, I like to say integrity, while it may be sensitive, it is situation-blind. In other words, it doesn't say, well, you know, here's a situation, i got to do this, here's a situation, i got to do this. Integrity is situation blind. It's like, this is the truth, and I have to either live that or speak that or whatever the case may call for at that particular time. It's the truth, and I've got to deal with that. Um, and while it may be hard for some to hear, I want to say this with a degree of caution, because it, it needs to be, it may be hard for some people to hear integrity in the long haul. Key phrase, in the long haul, integrity will be respected. It may take a while. Again, it may not be next week or next year or even a few years down the road. Um, and I don't think you need to tell me this, but there has never been a greater need in our life, really, in time for, for people to have integrity, to be whole, to be, to be honest. And it has many faces. I'm not just talking about people at business deals. It needs to be there. I'm also talking about just in personal relationships. Did you do that? Did you say that? No, 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 I didn't say that. I said this. Talking about in, in a marriage. I'm confronted almost weekly. Um, sometimes more than once of marriages that are, that are really struggling because somebody is not being a person of integrity. 
That may not involve cheating. It may. But it may just involve also not being honest about certain things in your own life and to speak the truth to one another. And, and we need to do that. And, and integrity is a part of everything that we do. And un- unfortunately, the, the, the hard part about that is it's kind of like a snowball because you can start with something little and, and then you can just go another place and just go another place and all of a sudden you don't have a relationship, whether it be in business or a client or a husband or a wife, you don't have a relationship based on integrity anymore. You have a relationship based on other stuff. So this is something that just affects everything that we do, whether it be in our homes, with our kids, or our parents, or whether it be you know, at school, or whether it be with, with our businesses, or whatever. You know, that's, that's one of the things. You know, it's kind of interesting, um, and it's kind of funny. Um, golfers, and I know, you all know I'm a golfer, and, uh, or at least pretend to be, and um, it's, it's interesting to me how in that particular sport, I think more than any other, um, there's so much honor and integrity involved. And, and guys that will steal people blind in business <laughs> at the same time won't take a one-foot putt because of the, of, 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 at least where I play, they're afraid of the reputation they might get if their integrity is questioned, at least on the golf course. You know, and, and I really do appreciate that about the game of golf. It's one of the appealing things to me. It is, it is about you and you alone, and only you know that. Um, Recently, there was a golf match um, that was uh, changed because one of the golfers said, um, I really took, it, it's hard to explain, but when he, went to do a, when he went to make a putt, he hit the ground first and came up and hit this. And, and what his intent was to hit the ball the first time and he didn't hit it. And therefore, it's two strokes instead of one. He lost a match because of that, because he had the ability to be honest. I've so many times thought, why can't life replicate golf in that regard? where we have such a high degree of integrity. I'm not saying everybody that plays golf is like that, but much more so than probably a lot of other things. We have to, we have to think through and we have to be just, just, just think about these issues of integrity. Jesus talked about integrity. Let me, tell you, let me show you what Jesus said. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. I recently talked about Sermon on the Mount, but I didn't deal with this particular uh, passage. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard the law of Moses says, do not break your vows. You must carry out your vows that you've made to the Lord. But I say, don't make any vows. If you say by heaven, it is a sacred vow because heaven is God's throne. And if you say by the earth, it is a sacred vow because the earth is the footstool. And don't swear by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Don't even swear. By my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Watch this. Here it is, verse 37. Just a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Your word is enough to strengthen your promise with a vow shows that something is wrong. I guess Jesus' words. So when I say, I don't normally do this, so I can talk about it, I guess, or I probably would if I did. But I mean, when someone says, such and such happened. No. Oh, I swear to God. I swear to God this is true. What, what, what he's saying, you shouldn't have to do that. You should have, and, and I know that sometimes this might be a casual thing, or you're trying to do it for a, a point of emphasis or whatever. But what Jesus is saying, your word should be enough that you don't have to swear by God or, or swear, on a, I swear on a stack of Bibles. Or I swear, he says, you shouldn't have to do that. And, and I like the way he says that at the end. He says, to strengthen your promise with a vow shows that something is wrong. And it's true, because our word should be enough. That's an important issue. I love that, the way he says that. Integrity. So important. I'll show you what Pascal said. Pascal, I've, I've used this quote a couple of times, and I love it. Um, Pascal with a great uh, 1600s thinker 
mathematician. We actually, I share a lot in common with uh, Pascal. He and I are very much alike, very much alike. We share the same birthday. So um, that's about, that's where it stops right there, all right? He was really smart, and he was a really good mathematician. He was a great thinker. But he said this, and I love this. The strength of a man's virtue should not be measured by his special exertions, but by his habitual acts. Isn't that good? Just, his, just how he lives his life. I want to say it again. Integrity is displayed in how you live your life day after day when the world watches and when no one is watching when no one is there. And you know where it begins? It begins with God. Because if you can't be honest with God, you're not going to be honest with yourself, and you sure as heck aren't going to be honest with other people. It starts with God, being honest before God, saying, God, here I am. I need, I'm broken. I'm fallen. I need to be made whole, complete. And the integrity will result from that. And that's why Jesus came, to give us that ability. Even though Jesus did come, and even though you may be a follower of Christ, there's still the struggles on a daily basis sometimes to remember, I'm whole, I'm complete. I can't compartmentalize that lie and then tell the truth over here. Integrity is displayed how you live your life. Day after day. While people are watching, and while no one is there, may God give us the ability to see, to speak, and to live lives of integrity, both while we're being watched and when we are alone. May God give us that ability. Let's pray. Lord God, we are moved by the importance of this characteristic that we sometimes speak of rather forcefully but don't always practice with as much constancy, this thing of integrity. And God, it's a lot easier for me to talk about than it is to be and do every day of the week, 24-7. I pray that you would give us the ability as we seek to, to live in that way, uh, that you think, as, we see, as we seek ability from our own Creator, to be people of integrity. I pray, God, that you would give us that through the strength and the power of a relationship with God Almighty. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.